So foreshadowing is a literary device in which a writer gives a hint of what is to come later on in the story. And we often see foreshadowing a lot in movies. And one of the biggest reveals in movie history happened towards the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Luke facing off with Darth Vader finds out that his father wasn't killed by Darth Vader, but spoiler alert, his father is Darth Vader. This was actually hinted at earlier in the movie where Luke has a force vision and he's fighting Darth Vader and he strikes off a piece of his helmet and he sees his own face, which is hinting at his family lineage, his tree. Even earlier in the film, we see foreshadowing again when Yoda meets Luke and says to himself, much anger in him. That's my good impression. <laughs> like his father. He says much anger in him like his father. And these are all types of foreshadowing that hint at a later reveal. So when you watch the movie again, you can kind of see, oh, I see they're hinting at Darth Vader is Luke's dad. And you may say to yourself, wow, that is neat. Or you may say to yourself, wow, this guy is a nerd. We see the same literary devices used in Scripture. And many scholars, they use the term typology. Typology. And a type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. Specifically, we see events and people in the Old Testament that point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Using similar words and phrases, we see similar sequences of events happen in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. And you've maybe heard this term, God whispers to us in all of Scripture. Well, there are some events where he raises his voice. And he says, see Jesus here. See Jesus here. And we see this in the life of Joseph. We see this in the life of Joseph. So how does Joseph point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ? And what should that move us to today? Well, turn to Joseph 41. Please have God's word in front of you. This morning, uh, we are going to be tackling a lot of God's Word. And so if you don't have it in front of you, following along, chances are you will get lost. If you're using your phone, I use the ESV. It's, it's not the inspired version. It is a version of the inspired Word of God, uh, but uh, it's the version I'm using this morning. And so so far, this is what we've covered. If you've, this is your first time here, just let me do a, a little bit of a recap. Joseph has been favored by his father. And his envious brothers, they, they take this ornate robe that his father has given him, they strip him of this, and they throw him into a cistern in a pit. And then they say, hey, let's make some money off of him. We're going to sell him into slavery. And Joseph becomes a servant of Potiphar, an official of the Pharaoh. And because God is with him, he prospers. He's then tempted by Potiphar's wife, and refuses her advances. She falsely accuse him, accuses him and sends him to prison. But because God is with him, he prospers. 
Then two men enter the prison population. One is the cupbearer, one is the baker. They each have a dream. And Joseph interprets their dreams. He says, hey, cupbearer, you're going to get out. Things are going to look good for you. And when you do, can you please remember me? And baker, you're going to die. I'm sorry. And, and he, so these, these dreams come to fruition. And you think Joseph is going to get rescued. But it ends that chapter, or that section, saying Joseph was forgotten. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And so for 13 years, for 13 years, Joseph's life has been one of suffering, pain, and humiliation. His life has been nothing but suffering, pain, and humiliation. Look at verse 41. After two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, just like me, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was not one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So, so far, Pharaoh, uh, this has been two years since Joseph has been forgotten in prison. Pharaoh has two dreams, and in each dream, there's a pattern. There's abundance followed by scarcity. And, and troubled by these dreams, Pharaoh calls for his magicians and wise men. And, and when I say magicians here, I don't mean the rabbit out of a hat pick a card sort of magicians, but somebody who would hear a dream, they would go to their dream commentary, and then they would come back and interpret the dream. Well, unfortunately for Pharaoh, and fortunately for Joseph, none of Pharaoh's wise men, none of Pharaoh's magicians could do their job. They all failed at their work. They all failed at interpreting these dreams. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph here. I got a guy who can interpret dreams, and he's right here in our very own prison. And guess what? He doesn't need a dream commentary to do it. He can actually interpret dreams on the spot. 
Let's just pause here real quick. So, so far, it's looking like Joseph is going to get out of prison. But it's not the cupbearer who saves Joseph. It is God. If it were not for God divinely giving Pharaoh these dreams, the cupbearer would have no reason to remember Joseph. God is always the author of of our salvation. Look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. They urgently summon Joseph out of the pit. And the language here is to remind us of the pit that Joseph has been from the beginning and the pit that Joseph has been rescued from at the end. I mean, he started this journey in a pit, in a cistern, in a water well of sorts. He ended his journey in a pit, in the prison. And Joseph is cleaned up. And he's presented to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I'm told you can interpret dreams on the spot. You don't need a dream book. And Joseph corrects him. Well, to be specific, to be clear, it's not due to any skill on my part. It's because God is with me. God is the one who interprets these dreams. And then Pharaoh, from 17 to 24, he recounts these dreams to Joseph. And it's very clear that Pharaoh is troubled by these dreams. And we've said it over and over again. Dreams were looked at as revelations from your God. And so whoever Pharaoh thought his God was, he was receiving some sort of divine revelation, and it is troubling him. He is waking up anxious. He is fretting. And then Joseph interprets these dreams. Jump down to 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years are blighted by the east wind. Also are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all of the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe." And the doubting and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will bring about this thing shortly. So Joseph highlights a few things about Pharaoh's dreams. And he first says these two dreams are really about the same thing. So it's not that one dream, the cows are about something else and the ears are about something else. These these two dreams are telling you the same thing. And he says the, 
The second thing he says is the, the fat cows and the full ears. Those represent seven years of plenty that are coming your way. But the skinny cows and the thin ears, that means that there's going to be seven years of famine. Which brings us to our third thing. These dreams are about the future and what will happen in Pharaoh's kingdom. And, and then Joseph ends saying, and the, there's been two of these dreams. We've seen that all throughout the, this, this book with Joseph where Joseph has two dreams. The, you, you see two dreams in the prison. Now you see two dreams by Pharaoh. And Joseph says it's two because that is ensuring that God is going to do these things. In case the first dream wasn't enough, he doubled it up for you so that there's no question God will do these things. Look at verse 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. So here, here's something about good leaders. Good leaders don't just complain about what's wrong. Good leaders don't just point out what is missing. Good leaders solve problems. Good leaders work to fix things. And Joseph says to prepare for this famine, you need to do A, B, and C. And we could preach a whole sermon about preparedness. Uh, but we see Joseph and a bit of his integrity and character coming out here. I mean, he came up to interpret dreams. They weren't like, what should we do about it, Hebrew slave prisoner? They, he just had the confidence to say, this is what we should do, which is a good kind of sub-point about leadership. Look at 37, 39. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? And whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. I love this part. Pharaoh likes what he hears from Joseph. And so he looks at all his, his wise men and magicians who have failed, where Joseph has succeeded, and he says to them, Is there anybody like this here? And, and one of them probably raised their hand. He's like, No, Tom, put your hand down. You are, you are, there's nobody. I mean, God is with this man. God is with this man. He's interpreted my dreams. And he's even given us a plan for the future. Verse 40. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command, only as, regard, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand 
and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, the, the Pharaoh, the king, is saying, Without your consent, Joseph, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephaneth Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph is made second to the king. He's to govern all people, all the people of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. He gives him rings and linen robes. Think about this. Before, all clothing did, all the garments did was get Joseph in trouble. The ornate robe that his father gave him got him lynched and sold into slavery. The, the robe that Potiphar's wife held in her hand led to Joseph's false accusation. And finally, Joseph is robed in royal linens. I mean, we've been waiting for this moment since we started this, this sermon series six weeks ago, five weeks ago. We've been waiting for this exaltation of Joseph. He even gets a company car. He gets a chariot. And as he rides by, everybody is to bow down. They're to put their knee in the ground and put their head down. Everyone is to obey Joseph. They cannot lift a hand or a foot without Joseph saying, okay, it's okay for you to lift your hand and foot right now. Joseph is given an Egyptian name with an Egyptian wife, which would have led to greater acceptance. And some of you are like, well, I thought the Old Testament treats marriage with, with foreign women as, as suspect at best. And that's true. But the portrait of Joseph painted here throughout this book and what we'll see in the future is one of fidelity to the one true God and faithfulness. Nothing in this narrative betrays that. Nonetheless, Joseph is exalted to a great position. So let's think about this. That was, that was a lot. Congratulations. We went through a lot of scripture in a very short time. Everything that has transpired over the last 13 years has led Joseph to this point. Those two initial dreams he had as a 17-year-old boy have come true. So you see God's sovereignty. We talked about God's sovereignty last week. His guiding hand has been over this entire episode, the journey through the pit designed to position Joseph and prepare Joseph to save many people. And I was reading an article that said it's not just the, the big picture of, of Joseph's life that serves to underscore God's sovereignty. It's, it's the various components of his life that God has specifically worked out to foreshadow something greater. You see, the humiliation and exaltation of Joseph, it anticipates and foreshadows the humiliation and exaltation 
of our Savior Jesus. When we collect the details of Joseph's life, we see a glorious reflection, a type that closely mirrors the life of Christ. And you'll be like, well, what do you mean? Let's break this down. Joseph was adored by his father, right? Jesus is adored by his father. When baptized in Matthew 3, 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Joseph was mocked by his family for being delusional. In Mark 3, 21, Jesus' family claims that he is out of his mind. Joseph was sold by his brothers for 20 shekels. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was stripped of his robe. Jesus in Matthew 27, 31 was beaten and stripped of his robe. Joseph became a servant of Potiphar. Mark 10, 45, we're told that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life. Joseph resisted temptations by refusing the advances of Potiphar's wife. In, in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Jesus resisted temptations by refusing the promises of Satan. Joseph, like Jesus, experienced humiliation. But Joseph, like Jesus, also experienced exaltation, a, a lifting up. Joseph was liberated from his prison and exalted to the right hand of the Pharaoh while he ruled all of Egypt. In Ephesians 1, we're told that Jesus was liberated from death and exalted to the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, and you guys sang it this morning. We didn't plan that. That's some Holy Spirit connection there. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. All were commanded to bow to Joseph. Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Joseph, with bread, was able to save many people from physical death. Jesus, the bread of life, is able to save people from eternal death, which is separation from God. John 6, 58, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus, through his sin-atoning death, and life-giving resurrection saves us from spiritual death. Our sin has been taken care of. We have been reconciled with the Father, and we will live with Him forever. The humiliation and exaltation of Joseph led to the salvation of Egypt. But that salvation, that work, foreshadows a greater humiliation and exaltation that has led to a greater salvation. We're not just fed. We don't survive, just survive. We receive eternal life. And it's not, it's so hard not to see in Joseph's narrative, sovereignly written and directed by God as a, as a larger picture, a larger chapter in the redemptive story in Scripture. It's a chapter in salvation history meant to turn our hearts and minds to the person and work of our Savior. I mean, today we celebrate the 4th of July. 
Independence Day, where the Continental Congress declared that the American colonies were free, no longer subject to King George III, the tyrant, a freedom eventually bought with blood during the American Revolution. And tonight, we're going to blow things up. And we're going to eat a lot of meat in celebration, just like our forefathers knew we would. We're shooting a stinking cannon tonight. <laughs> it's hard not to see some of the similarities in what was accomplished for us 200 years ago and what was accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. In both events, we were freed. And one, we were freed from an oppressive political power. And another, we were freed from oppressive spiritual powers. Sin, Satan, and death by the blood of Christ. I mean, if you love Jesus, you know, this time of year, your, your heart will turn to the person and work of Christ on this day and be thankful. Thank you for what you have done for me, Jesus. There has been greater salvation that you have provided for me. A similar thing happens when we look at the life of Joseph. When we see typology in the Old Testament foreshadowing the, the person and work of Jesus in the New, our, our minds and hearts turn to the person and work of Christ and well up with worship and celebration. That's why the Old Testament is so valuable for us. We can see this chapter in salvation history and others and see how God has worked to save his people time and time again and be overwhelmingly thankful that we have been recipients of his greater work of salvation. We have been saved from death. We have been freed from sin's penalty. We are being freed from sin's penalty power. And one day we will be freed from sin's presence. All because we have received the bread of life. We have put our faith in the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for today. I, I, I love our country. We can gather and worship. But I really love the gospel. And, and what you have accomplished for us. Father, we died with your son. We were raised with your son and exalted. Father, eternal life is ours and there is nothing that can snatch us from the Father's hand. We have been saved. We have been redeemed. We have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin is no longer counted against us. And there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. And so as we celebrate the independence of our country and the freedom that was purchased by blood, let us continually move our hearts to the redemption and freedom that was accomplished for us through blood.
through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we celebrate today. May we have fun with our family. But may we truly reflect on the freedom you have made available to us through faith. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. please stand as we continue to worship.